Shalom, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Menachem Liebtag. Today is our fifth shiur in Parsha B'Shalach. In our shiur today, in our class today, we will be discussing many miracles that take place as Am Yisrael travels from Egypt to Mount Sinai, be it the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea, the miracle of the bitter waters in Maran turning sweet, or the miraculous manna that falls from heaven that provides food for Am Yisrael during their travels in the desert. Before we discuss each story individually, I'd like to make a comment about miracles in general, which we will follow through this year. There are many great prophets like Eliel Anavi, like Elijah, or like Moshe Rabbeinu, who are known for the great miracles they perform. There are other prophets like Yeshayahu, like Isaiah, like Yirmiyahu, and Yechezkel, and Hosea. Almost all the classic prophets are not known for the miracles that they perform, but rather for the rebuke or the guidance they give the people of Israel. So when do we find prophets who perform miracles? And when do we find prophets who simply rebuke or teach the people? I think the answer is simple. When Am Yisrael is in a situation where the very belief in God is in question, then there needs to be a miracle to prove to people that God indeed exists and that there's one and only one God. Once there's a nation that believes in God, but the question is, should we follow God or how to follow God? Then I need a Navi, I need a prophet who gives rebuke. We will see Moshe Rabbeinu has to serve both of these functions. First, when he takes Am Yisrael out of Egypt, he has to prove to them that God exists, and hence the numerous miracles which he performs in Egypt and on the way from Egypt to Mount Sinai prove to Am Yisrael that there is indeed one God. Afterwards, once Am Yisrael accepts to be God's people forever and indeed guidance how to serve God, then I need a prophet who both teaches and rebukes the people to guide them to serve God properly. In today's share, we will see how the splitting of the Red Sea will be a miracle that reaffirms Am Yisrael's belief that God exists. The second miracle in Marah, where God will turn the bitter water and make it sweet, will show the Jewish people that God not only performs miracles to bring damage and death, but God can also perform miracles to bring life and hope. And finally, in the story of the manna, we will see a miracle that God performs in providing bread that will not only affirm Amistad's belief in God, but will train them how to behave in their service of God. So let's begin in chapter 15, verse 20. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand. All the women followed her, dancing together with her, with their timbrels. Miriam led them, enchanting, Moshe led the men, and Miriam led the women, as Rashi explains. Shiru ladunaiki sus Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Rashi is bothered by why Miriam is referred to, number one, as a prophetess, and secondly, as the sister of Aaron. Isn't she also the sister of Moshe? So Rashi explains that these two descriptions of Miriam explain one another. Rashi explains when she was still only the sister of Aaron before Moshe was born, she made a prediction that her mother would have another baby. And for that reason, she is known as a prophetess. And for that reason, she's referred to here as the sister of Aaron. Rashbam gives a much more simple explanation. It is this act of leading the nation in song and praise of God that gives her the status of a prophetess. Now in verse 22, we begin our journey. Vayasa Moshe so Moshe leads them on their travel 
from the Red Sea. And they travel and go out to the desert of Shur. And Am Yisrael travels for three days in the desert, but they could not find any water. It's interesting that we were supposed to go a three-day distance in the desert to Mount Sinai. And instead, we go a three-day distance to somewhere else, definitely not to Mount Sinai. Because they're not ready, we have to first go to a place where God will begin to teach them a lesson. As many of you, I'm sure, have heard before, there's an analogy that the rabbis use of Ein Maim El Torah. We're going to compare the giving of the Torah to providing someone with water, because just like water is the most basic element that a person needs to live, Torah is the most basic thing that a Jew needs to survive. So let's see what happens when they arrive at Mara, Bayavol Marata. So they arrive at the site, which later becomes Mara. They were not able to drink the water in Mara, because it was bitter. For that reason, that site was known to the people as Mara. The people complained to Moshe and said, what can we drink? This is a very legitimate complaint. If Moshe is leading them into the desert, he should provide them with water. God wants them to complain because he wants to show them that he can provide water. Moshe cries out to God for help. And God shows him a tree. Moshe takes that tree and throws it into the water source that was bitter. And the water all of a sudden became sweet. Sham, at that place, Sam lo chok umishpat v'sham nisamu. At that very place, Moshe began to teach them laws and statutes, and there he tested them. Ramban explains that the tree was a natural cure for the water, that putting something sweet into something bitter, there's some chemical reaction that made the water sweet. And what God did, God showed Moshe, by Yoreu Hashem Eitz, the miracle was that God showed Moshe the right tree to use, Afterwards, the Ramban quotes a Midrash that says, no, it was a double miracle. God wanted to show the people a double miracle that something bitter can make bitter water sweet. And the idea behind it is that even though up until now, they've seen God perform many miracles, but all the miracles he's doing is taking good water or making it polluted or causing death. Now he wants to show them that God can also take bitter water and make it sweet, sort of switching around what happened with the plagues. Instead of water turning polluted, now polluted water turns sweet. Returning now to Pasach Hafei, to verse 25, after the water became sweet, Chumash tells us at that place, God taught them Chok and Mishpat. What does Chok and Mishpat mean? Rashi quotes the famous Mechelta, that Chok and Mishpat is referring to the laws of Shabbat, because very soon we're going to receive the mana, and we need to know the laws of Shabbat to keep the laws of the mana. Chok refers to Paraduma, the laws of the red heifer, most likely because those laws are only recorded in the middle of Sefer Bamidbar in Parshat Chukat, and they must have, have been given earlier because we need those laws in relation to the bringing the Korban Pesach in the second year, soon after the Mishkan is built. So if they were not given chronologically in Parshat Chukat, they must have been given earlier. So Rashi suggests that maybe those laws, even though they don't apply at this time, they're already taught at this time, so they'll have them in a year from now when they build the Mishkan. Rabban quotes Rashi and disagrees, and he says... The simple meaning is, when we come to the desert, we need to teach the people the simple laws of how to live in camp. How not to be a wild band of freed slaves, but rather how to treat one another kindly, how to share, how not to complain, how to ration the water, how to treat visitors, how to act and dress modestly. And this, he claims, is a nisayon. We could apply this to how we view Jewish education. 
When we want to begin Jewish education, do we begin by teaching rituals like laws of paraduma and Shabbat? Or do we teach first laws of how to behave, what they call Nidash Mechlechkeit, to act like a good person? Of course, both are important in being Jewish, but what is the first and primary type of education you give? Is a good behavior or keeping mitzvot might be reflected in the argument we see here between Rashi and Ramban. Let's continue now with Pasuk Chava, verse 26. Vayomer, Moshe tells the people, Im tishma Adonai Elohecha, If you are ready now to obey God, do what is right in his eyes. And pay attention to his commandments. And you are willing now to keep all of his laws and statutes. Then all this sickness that I put on the Egyptians, I won't put on you because I am God, he who heals you. Svarnos claims that this is a bit of a scare tactic. Moshe Rabbeinu's main goal is to get the people ready for Mount Sinai, to get them ready and willing and eager to accept God's laws. And by performing this miracle and teaching the laws, he's telling them, look what happened here at Maram. If you follow God, look what he can do for you. He can give you life. He can keep you alive in the desert. If you don't keep his laws, what might happen to you is the same thing that happened to the Egyptians, the same punishment I gave them, I might give you. What is Kenyashem Rofecha? What does the word Rofem mean? Usually Rofem means a doctor. Rashbam gives a very nice explanation, quoting the Psukim, when Elisha the prophet makes the water in Yericho from bitter to sweet, there it says, Nirbu Hamaim. And therefore, Rashbam explains, Kenyashem Rofecha means, I'm the God who made your bitter water sweet, just like I was able to do that. Therefore, it's worthwhile for you to keep my laws. Now, verse 27, Pasuk Chavzayim, Vayavo Elima, now they come to an area called Elim, Visham, Shtem Esrei Enot Maim, Veshivim Tmarim. In Elim, they find 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Vayachanu Sham Alamaim, and they set up camp there by the water. I don't think it's by chance that they found exactly 12 springs and 70 palm trees. It could be, again, this is an educational experience that might be teaching them about the idea of what it means to be 12 tribes. The reason why there's 70 palm trees giving fruit is thanks to the springs of water. Again, if we are God's model nation and we keep the Torah properly, just like water enables in nature trees to give their fruit, then Am Yisrael keeping Torah can help other nations and other people live their lives in a prosperous way as we become their model nation. Now, we leave Elim in chapter 16. We stop in Midbar Sin. This is not Midbar Sinai. This is a wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Mount Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month since they left Egypt, it's been exactly a month since we left Egypt. Rashi points out they took enough dough with them, leaving Egypt, that they were able to bake that dough into matzah for a month, and now they run out of food. And like we mentioned before, God knows they're going to a place that they're running out of food. God wants them to complain for food. The question might be how they complain, but God is expecting them to complain because God wants to give them the manna. And of course, the people will complain. In Pasuk Bet, in verse 2, now the entire congregation of Israel complains against Moshe and Aaron. 
בשבטנו על סיר הבשר, בוכלינו לחם ושובע, כי הוצאתם אותנו אל המדבר הזה למית את כל הקהל הזה ברעב. The people say we would rather have died in the hands of God back in Egypt when we at least had what to eat. And now you brought us out here in the desert to kill us in famine? It's very interesting in verse 3. It seems like the people of Israel are complaining about Moshe and Aaron. They're claiming they're doing this on purpose. You brought us out here to die. And just like you caused the Egyptians to die, now you want to kill us. Of course, we have to educate them that God's doing this to train them. Now notice here, they're complaining that Moshe and Aaron took them out to the desert, that it was their idea. So now the first thing God has to do, he has to prove to the people it wasn't Moshe and Aaron's idea to take him to the desert. It was God's idea to take him to the desert. As we will now see in Pasuk Dalit. Vayomer Adonai HaMoshe, Hinenim mamtir lachem, lechem min ha-shamayim. God tells Moshe, tell the people, I'm going to make it rain for you, bread from heaven. Vyatsa ha'am velaktu, dvar yom biyomo, people will go out and collect day by day. Leman anaseno hayalech betorati imlo. In order to test them, Will they follow my Torah or not? Now we'll begin to understand what is the purpose of this mana test. The word Nisayon, we had it before Akedat Yitzchak, Hashem Nisat Avraham, Katesed Avraham, but the word in Hebrew for a test is also Mifchan. But there's a big difference between a Mifchan being a test and Nisayon. A Mifchan is a test that the teacher needs to understand if the students understood the information. And when a student takes a Mifchan, he doesn't learn anything new, but rather the teacher learns how well he taught the material. And Nisayon is an experience the student goes through that makes him who he is. It's a type of training, like a soldier in the army or a doctor doing his residency. It's training that makes you who you are, and it can make you a better person, even though you suffered a bit. Again, I need to give you an experience before I give you the Torah. And before we get 613 laws, Let's see if we can keep two laws, if we can keep the basic laws of the man, not to collect it on Shabbat, and not to take more than what we need. Before we continue with verse 5, just to note about what we just said in the beginning of verse 4, of God is going to make it rain bread from heaven. The verb matar usually refers to rain. In fact, in the land of Israel, God promises, if we keep the mitzvot, as we say in Shema, God will give us matar at the right time. And if we don't keep the mitzvot, he'll stop the heavens and there won't be matar. Now this is exactly the opposite of what is going to happen in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, matar will bring rain from heaven and bread will grow from the ground. In the desert, bread comes from heaven and water, as we'll see in the next chapter, will be coming from the ground. And it could be the blessing that we make on bread, hamotzi lechem in its source might be from this verse that we just read, because the rabbis tell us in the Midrash, that Am Yisrael, when they ate the manna, the blessing that they made was Hamotzi Lecha Min HaShamayim. So it could be to show that we want to treat the bread that we eat as though it's like manna, even though we grow it ourselves, we want to treat it as though God gave it to us from heaven. We make the bracha Hamotzi Lecha Min HaAretz. Let's continue now with verse 5. And it will come to pass, God explains to Moshe, that on the sixth day of the manna falling, the people should prepare what they bring in, and they will find it will be double than the amount that they collected every day. So this ends what God told Moshe Rabbeinu about the manna. Now we're going to see how Moshe and Aaron have to talk to the people to explain to them 
It wasn't their idea to come to the desert. It was God who led them into the desert. Pasukva, verse 6. Moshe and Aaron tell the entire nation of Israel, Erev, this evening, Vidatem ki Adonai hotzietchem meretz Mitzrayim. This evening, you will all know that it was Hashem, it was God who took you out of Egypt. Uboker, tomorrow in the morning, Uritemet kvod Adonai, you will see the glory of God, Veshomoet tlunotechem al Adonai, because he heard your complaints about God. Venachnuma, what do you want from us? Kitalinu alenu, because you're complaining about us. Again, Moshe and Aaron have to explain to the people, it wasn't our idea to bring you out to the desert, it was God. Now Moshe continues in verse 8. Vayemer Moshe, Betet Adonai lechem be'erev basar lecho, ve'lechem baboker lisboa, bishmoa Adonai et tlunotechem, asher atem malinim alav, ve'nachnu ma lo aleinu tlunotechem ki al Adonai. Moshe is about to repeat what we said before, that when God will give you in the evening meat, and in the morning when he brings you bread to fill you, that will show you that God has heard your complaint, that you're complaining about him, because what do you want from us? Your complaint is not against us, it's against God. Pasek Tet, verse 9. Moshe tells Aharon, tell the entire congregation of Israel, Come close to God. We'll see what that means very soon. Because God has heard your complaints. Moshe wants Aaron to get the people ready to witness God's glory. Pasuk Yud, verse 10. Vayhi, kedaber Aaron el koladat b'nei Yisrael, vayifnu el amidbar. When Aaron spoke to the entire congregation of Israel, they all turned towards the desert. V'hinei kvod Adonai nira banan. And behold, the glory of God could be seen in the cloud. Now, it's not clear if the cloud reappeared, the same cloud that guided them from Egypt till the crossing of the Red Sea, that cloud was not mentioned when we leave the Red Sea. Note, back in chapter 15, verse 22, it said, Vayasam Moshe et Yamsuf. Moshe led the people from Yamsuf on the way to meet Bashur, on the way to Marah. And it could be because the Anan was not with them yet, that might have led them to think it was Moshe and Aaron leading them, and not God. Now that the Anan has reappeared, that proved to them that God is with them in the desert, and it was God's idea to bring them there, and not Moshe and Aaron. We're now in verse 11, Pasuk Yud Aleph, by Daber Adonai Moshe Lemor. God is now going to explain to Moshe Rabbeinu about what will take place with the Slav, with the quail, and with the man. Pasuk Yud Bet, verse 12, Shamati et lunot b'nei Yisrael. I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Daber Alehem Lemor, speak to them, saying, Bein harbaim tochlu basar, in the evening, you will be able to eat meat. In the morning, you will fill yourself with bread. And then you will know that I am Hashem, your God. Pasuk Yud Gimel, verse 13. And it came to pass in the evening. The quail, the slav, came up and covered the entire camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Pasuk Yudalit, verse 14. Then when the dew lifted up, Behold, over the face of the wilderness, there was a thin, flaky substance, very thin, like frost covering the ground. Pasuk Tetvav, verse 15. Israel, 
ויאמרו איש אל אחיו מן הוא, כי לא ידעו מהו. All of Bnei Yisrael saw this thin layer, and they said to one another, what is this? Because they did not know what it was. ויאמר משה עליהם, הוא הלחם אשר נתן אדוני לכם לאוכלה. משה tells them, this is the bread, or the food, that God is giving you to eat. פסק ט"ז, verse 16, זה הדבר אשר ציווה אדוני, ליקטו ממנו איש לפי אוכלו, אומר לגוגולת, מספר נפשותיכם, איש לאשר באוהלו תיקחו. Moshe tells the people, this is what God commanded, collect from it every person based on what he needs to eat, and Omer, and notice all the English translations simply translate O-M-E-R, per person, Gugolet is the Hebrew word for a skull, but it means a person, based on the number of members in the family in each person's tent. In other words, every household could take enough mana, a Omer, for every person in the family. פסוק י"ז, verse 17, ויעשו חן בני ישראל, וילקטו המרבה והממית. בני ישראל did as Moshe commanded, and they collected, those who took a lot and those who took a little. Now Rashi claims there was something miraculous here, that no matter what you took, if you took too much or took too little, by the time you got home to your tent, the final amount that was in your container was exactly the amount that you needed. Eben Ezra says, Quite the opposite. What happened? The people simply did as Moshe commanded, and the people who were supposed to take a lot took a lot. The people who were supposed to take less took less. Everyone took as God commanded, based on the number of people in their tent. Pasuk Yudchet, Vayamodu Vaomer, Vulohidif Hamarbeh, Vamamit Loichsir, Ish Lefiochlo Lokatu. This verse will be rather difficult to translate, but I'll try as follows. They measured using this Omer, and He who took a lot did not take too much, and he who took a little was not missing what he needed. Everyone took based on what they needed. The simple way to understand this pasuk is like Ebenezer's explanation, that they followed Moshe Rabbeinu's instructions. Those who were supposed to take a lot took a lot, and those who were supposed to take a little took a little, and is praising the people for collecting the mana in the proper manner. Rashi, as we explained before, says, no, this was miraculous, No matter if you took too much or took too little, everyone got what they needed. Before we continue, I would like to discuss the meaning of the word Omer, Ayin Memresh. This is the very first time we find this word used in Chumash. And Chumash itself understands that the reader is unaware of the meaning of this word, because at the very end of the chapter, in verse 36, we find a footnote. And there we read, Omer asirit ha'ifahu. The Omer was a tenth of an ifah. Now, to the modern reader, this does not help too much because we don't know what an Omer is and we don't know what an Eifah is. But in the time of the Bible, everyone knew the word Eifah because the Eifah is a standard dry measure throughout the entire Tanakh. In fact, a tenth of an Eifah is used many times in Tanakh and there's a name for it. It's called an Isaron. Almost all the sacrifices come with flour and the amount of flour that you bring with the sacrifice is a tenth of an Eifah for a lamb. two-tenths of an eifah, or two esronim, for an ayo, and three esronim, three-tenths for a cow. Throughout the rest of Chumash, the word consistently for a tenth of an eifah will be in Isaron, but only here, in the story of the man, is the word omer used for this measure. I would like to suggest that the word omer is the name for the utensil that B'nai Yisrael used to collect the man. In other words, everyone used the omer to collect the man, The maximum amount of this cup was a tenth of an ephah, 
but each person only put in as much as they needed. We have something very similar in English when you talk about a cup. A cup might mean eight ounces as a measure. A cup might mean a utensil that we put coffee in. And you could have an eight ounce cup, a 12 ounce cup, or a 16 ounce cup. Here I would like to suggest that the name of the utensil is an omer, and its maximum volume was a tenth of an ephah, but how much did each person put into their omer cup that was only the amount that they needed for that day? To support this explanation, take a look at verse 33, where Moshe tells Aaron to take a container, it's in Senet, put into this container, this it's in Senet, put a full omer of man. Why meloha omer? Why a full omer? If the word Omer means a tenth of an ephah, it doesn't make sense to say Meloha Omer. But if an Omer is the utensil that can hold up to a tenth of an ephah, then Meloha Omer means take a complete container of man and put it into a closed container at Sinsenet for safekeeping for all generations. To appreciate the reason for this miracle in the desert and its purpose, I would like to note that the word Omer is used here for the very first time in Chumash. It is rarely used again. It is never used as a measure. Only the word Isaron is used for, for the measure of a tenth of an ephah. But the main time that we find the word used in Chumash is in the book of Ayikra, in chapter 23, when we are commanded to bring an offering and call it Omer and wave it in front of God from the very first of our grain harvest in the spring. And then for the next seven weeks, which of course will relate to Shabbat, as we will soon see, we talk about the Omer, and these seven weeks coincide with the grain harvest in the land of Israel. Now, considering that there is only one grain harvest a year in the land of Israel, and everything we're going to eat for the rest of the year will be collected during these seven weeks, it could be by waving this offering and calling it Omer and counting the Omer, we are making a statement in front of God that we are going to treat our harvest and our grain that we collect with our own work through nature. We're going to tell God we're treating this as though it is a miracle. And hence, when we collect this grain and we make bread and we make the blessing, in essence, what we may be saying is that we are treating nature as though it is a miracle. If you look also in the book of Tvarim, in chapter 8, when Moshe Rabbeinu explains to the people in the 40th year to remember your desert experience and its educational purpose, he says in verse 2 in chapter 8 in Tvarim, remember your journey for 40 years in the desert where I made you hungry and I tested you and I gave you the manna to teach you the man does not live to eat, but rather he's eating to live. If the Jewish nation is going to have a purpose, not just to survive, but to be God's model nation, then it is important to have food, but it is not going to be the purpose of our lives. As Am Yisrael has just been freed from their slavery in Egypt, what is in their mind at this point is simply to have food on the table. God wants to teach them it's important to have food, and we need to care about having what to eat. Moshe Rabbeinu explains to them, I was trying to teach you in the desert, you are not living in order to eat, you're eating in order to live. But the statement that we're making by bringing the Omer is that we are going to treat nature as though it's a miracle. Now, the last and final time we find the word Omer, Ein Memresh, used in Chumash, is later in Sefer Dvarim, in chapter 24, verse 19, where Moshe teaches the people, should you be harvesting your field in the land of Israel, and should you forget or leave over some of your sheaves in the field, don't go back and collect it, Rather, leave it for the poor and the needy. And the word that Chumash uses specifically for this leftover grain is Omer. There are many other words in Hebrew for a bundle of grain. It can be an aluma, it could be shibulim. There are many times that Chumash talks about grain 
and it doesn't use the word Omer, only in this context, when we are leaving over grain for the poor and the needy, I think it's very meaningful that Chumash uses specifically the word Omer in this context. Because the most important thing, it's not saying thank you, but acting thank you. How do you show God that you appreciate why he gave you what we call nature? By acting godly. Because when you were in the desert and you had nothing to eat, God provided you with food, and the food he gave you was collected with Omer. And therefore, when you become the farmer like Boaz in the story of Miguel Ruth, and you're harvesting your grain, make sure to leave over for people less fortunate like you were in the desert. And don't just say thank you to God. I want you to act thank you and be godly in your day-to-day behavior. This most likely is the most important educational message of the Manas story in the desert, both for the people of Israel at that time to train them and prepare them for Matan Torah and for future generations as well, and that should affect our day-to-day behavior. Now we will see how this experience of collecting the mana will also teach Am Yisrael about the concept of Shabbat. Now remember that the first chapter of Bereshit teaches us that what we call nature, all the different powers of nature, was the act of one God. And the story of seven days of creation reminds us that what appears to be many powers in nature, God's special name, Elohim, meaning the many powers, is really one God. And that story culminates in separating Shabbat to remember that there's only one God. I think it's very meaningful that it is through this experience of appreciating nature that we introduce to Am Yisrael the very concept of Shabbat. As we know in the Ten Commandments, Shabbat will remind us, on the one hand, that God created in seven days. But in the Ten Commandments in Sefer Devarim, Shabbat reminds us we have to be thoughtful that our workers and the poor people also need a day of rest. And these two values that God is trying to teach Am Yisrael in this mana experience in the desert, both on the one hand to appreciate the existence of God, but at the same time to act godly and be considerate of other people who are less fortunate in your day-to-day life, we see how both of these themes are central in God's training of Am Yisrael as He prepares them for Mamad Har Sinai. Pasuk Yotet, Vayomer Moshe Alehem, Ish al yoter mimenu ad boker. After everyone collected the mana on the first day, then Moshe commanded them, even though everyone took as much as they need, there might be someone among you who wanted to save for tomorrow anyhow. Moshe tells them, no one should leave over till the next day. And even though everyone took only as much as they needed, we are still worried that some people would not have faith that it would fall tomorrow. Pasuk Chaf, verse 20. Moshe, anashim imenu ad boker, they did not listen to Moshe. Many of the people left over, and whatever was left over became wormy and became ruined. And Moshe became very angry at them. Now, I don't think anyone should be surprised the fact that people left over. I think God expected this to happen, but this might be part of the training experience and teach them about Shabbat that will come later in the week. Pasuch of Aleph, verse 21. And the people collected it every day in the morning, each person as much as they needed to eat, and then the sun would come out and it would melt. Pasuk Habet, verse 22. And it came to pass on the sixth day, the people collected a double amount of food, two omer per person, and the princes of the congregation came and they told that to Moshe. Now, it's not clear if people took double because double amount fell and therefore they took double. Or it could be that the same amount fell, but this time they were commanded to take double, as we were told back in verse 5. We're not sure whether Moshe already told them about taking double beforehand or through this experience. 
if we assume that Moshe already told them about taking double, which would explain why they took double, but they were not told yet about Shabbat, now there's much excitement in the camp. What are we going to do with this double amount? And what is the purpose of receiving double on Friday? It could be that this is a special activity that God is giving them to train them and have them appreciate what Shabbat is about. So let's take a look now in Pasuk Hab Gimel in verse 23, as Moshe explains to them the reason why they received double. Vayomer Alehem, Moshe told them, Hu Ashir Diber Adonai. This is what God has spoken. Shabbaton Shabbat Kodesh Ladonai Machar. Tomorrow is a special day of Shabbat for God. Et Ashir Tofu Efu. Vet Ashir Tavashlu Bashelu. Vet Koho Odef Hanichu Lachem Lemishmeret Araboker. Anything you need to bake for today, to bake. Everything you need to cook, you shall cook. And whatever is left over, you can leave for you for safekeeping to the next morning. Pasach Abdalet, verse 24. And they left it over in the morning, just as Moshe had commanded. And nothing got ruined and no worms came into it. Verse 25. Moshe told them, eat this today, because today is Shabbat for God. Today, you will not find any Omer in the field. Therefore, you're supposed to eat today what you collected yesterday, and don't go out today to collect. Pasuk Chavav, verse 26. Sheshit yamim tilkutuhu. Six days you shall collect the mana. Uveyom hashvi'i, Shabbat lo yebo. And on the seventh day, this will be Shabbat, you will not find it in the field, and therefore don't go out to collect. Pasuk of Zion, verse 27. Vayhi bayom hashvi'i, and it came to pass on the seventh day, yatsu am lokot, people went out to collect, and they didn't find any. We see both in the commandment not to leave over on a regular weekday, and the people leave over. And on the commandment not to go out to collect on Saturday, and people go out to collect anyhow, we see the need to train the people to have their belief in God. And if the mana fell every day, the exact same amount, after a while they would just consider this, this is the way of nature. The fact that it falls every day, but it doesn't fall on Saturday, teaches them that it's from God. And more than that, the fact that if you would leave it over any other day of the week, it would become ruined. And when you leave it over on Friday, it remains fine and you can use that for eating on Shabbat. All that together teaches them that what appeared to be something natural is actually a miracle from God. And again, it might be the main eternal message about the mana and how we are able to perceive the hand of God behind nature. Anyone who studies education or works in informal education can definitely appreciate the activity of how to teach values such as Shabbat to a people through experience. Pasuk Havchet, verse 28, And Hashem told Moshe, How long will you refuse to obey my commandments and my teachings? Ru'u, pay attention, see, God is giving you this day of rest, this Shabbat. That is why he gave you a double portion on Friday. Everyone stay where you are. No one should leave their home or their place on the seventh day. Pasuk Lamed, verse 30. It seems like they learned their lesson. And from that time on, the people rested on the seventh day. Part of the educational experience of the man was to teach people the importance of routine and keeping laws in Jewish life. And tomorrow's year, we will briefly conclude our study of the mana, and then we will continue with the story of what happens in Rufidim and the war with Amalek.